0: Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also subscribe, rate, and review at other podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and basically wherever you listen to podcasts. The Sonic Cinema Podcast will be there. Um check us out at uh patreon.com backslash sonic with the Oscars coming up. I will be going through those nominations. It's been a bit slow this month, admittedly. Uh, still kind of um catching my breath a little bit after uh, Sundance and uh then um I've got a uh, film festival not this coming week, but next week, that I will hopefully be having some coverage for. And, uh, that will be a Patreon. A lot of that will be at patreon.com backslash Sonic Sema. I do hope to get back to Twitch sometime soon, uh, with my uh, work schedule being predominantly nights. It's been a bit difficult to really, uh, get on there. But I hope to, depending on how things work out, I definitely hope to, uh, be going back to uh, twitch.tv backslash scuttle lemur. And uh, finally, uh, you, can, um, you can check out uh, Banana Meter, which is a new sort of review aggregate uh, website that I am a part of. And we've gotten we've done our launch this past uh, month with movies like Jackass, Moonfall, Death on the Nile, Marry Me, Uncharted, and then the movie that we are going to be talking about on this podcast. And I also wrote a piece for the website on uh, Johnny Greenwood's Oscar-nominated score for Power of the Dog, so you can check that out at Banana Meter. This is probably, admittedly, this is probably the quickest a uh, podcast record has gotten off the ground in terms of myself and a guest. Uh, we we talked about this starting on Saturday, and we were recording this on Monday. It is for the uh, recently released latest sequel, remake, whatever you want to call it, for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And if we're talking horror, that probably conclude you into my guest it is phil faso thank you very much for joining me
1: this is an emergency broadcast from the <laughs> sonic cinema network do not adjust me, health cell phone or ham radio
0: hi brian how are you i i am doing very well um i i will say it's it was it's it was kind of funny to see the uh varying degrees of uh Response that this movie got over the weekend, and I was definitely looking forward to it. Um, not not in the sense that oh, I'm a huge fan of the franchise, and I I I I want as many Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies as possible. Is I was as based on what I had seen and heard in terms of the trailers and stuff like that, I felt like this movie was going to be ripe for a lot of discussion and i i will be honest it it certainly did not disappoint in that respect (laughs) i
1: decided to watch this because i saw the trailer for this i heard that this was coming a couple weeks ago and then i saw the trailer and i get a lot of guff from my friends who all tell me that i'm very negative (laughs) i'm very a very hard critic which i am i'll be honest about that i'm very hard on on entertainment I went into this thing with the attitude of, I hope I hate this as much as I think I'm going to. And I absolutely did. I'm not (laughs) disappointed by that. You know, we talked last time, I I believe it was last time we spoke about um, Dr. Moreau there. Yes. The night before Dr. Moreau. This, if not having surpassed that as the worst film we've ever discussed, I would put it definitely in that lead. This is bottom barrel stuff here.
0: Yeah, this is... One of the things I say in my print review of this and right off the bat is I feel like the only reason to justify making any more Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies is to allow filmmakers to put their own particular spin on it. Because, let's face it, this is arguably the most chaotic and bizarre Sense of a franchise, even more so than the Halloween movies, uh, where you know you've got at least two or three different timelines that are going. There are two or three, at, at least two or three different direct sequels to this. There are some reboots. Everything else feel, even some sequels feel like a reboot. It is such a bizarre thing, and I feel like the only reason to do this is. A name, name sachet, even though, like, all of them don't put, they put chainsaw together as opposed to the original, which has chain and saw as separate words. But that, I feel like that's the only creative impetus to justify making any more movies uh, with Leatherface.
1: You can't even justify this as. Like, okay, so a good portion of the template here is based on Halloween 2018. There's no denying that, right? Yep. But you can't even say that, hey, listen, we're wiping everything out, and we're going with a direct sequel to the original, because that's what that Leatherface movie in 2013 did. (laughs) So you can't even, like, even that's not an original take here. Yeah. So here's my, my biggest issue with this movie, is that This movie has 50 different points and 50 different things to say and doesn't really say anything about any of them.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: (laughs) So I want to go back to the original for a second. Now, you've seen the original, right?
0: Oh, yes. I I saw the original before the 2003 remake.
1: Okay. So I I know because I read your uh, review the other day that you haven't seen all of them. I unfortunately have. And this is one of those franchises where there's a lot more bad than good. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I want to go all the way back to Toby Hooper's original, right? So Toby Hooper's original is really a thing about the counterculture being eaten up by society, right? We're just coming out of Vietnam. You get these hippie kids. They're coming along. They end up innocently in this farmhouse, and they cross this. They come across this family who is absolutely insane. You know, and you find out that, you know, they used to work in the meat packing plants and, you know, they, they, they used to basically, you know, in the slaughterhouses, right? Mm-hmm. But the industry gone south and now they have, they basically have no source of income or food. So they're eating people, right? Yeah. So they're literally eating the newer generation, right? It goes back to you know Romero's Night of the Living Dead made some of this and what those zombies. Basically, the, the, the new generation is being eaten by the old. Right? Vietnam It's a statement on Vietnam and some other things. So my first issue here is okay. Well, I don't even know how you want to attack this because there are so many different points here. But I just want to say something about family before we get anywhere else. Okay. So in the second film, have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre too?
0: I haven't heard, I have not seen that one.
1: Okay. That's the first one I ever saw on cable back in the 80s. That is by far my favorite. It goes a complete 180 from the original one goes because Toby Hooper basically said to himself I can't just do this again or it's going to be the same film. So he turns the second one into this brilliant black comedy. Right? Mm. <laughs> it's just I don't want to go into it because I could do a whole spiel on it. But one of the characters introduces in that second film the line that the saw is family right and then when you get to the third film even though they don't mention that line it's actually written on the chainsaw like it's embedded in the steel on the chain on Weatherface's chainsaw
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the whole the whole impetus for this franchise seem to be that the saw is family because this isn't just some like Michael, Michael Myers is just you know he's gone insane he's going to kill people right It's not really a family thing after, you know, they try to turn, whatever. And, you know, Jason has his mom at the beginning, but that's not really so much about family after a while. But the first few Texas Chainsaw, actually, pretty much everyone except this one, has family as a huge part of it. Now, you're supposed to look at them as this outside crazy family, as opposed to your modern-day American family. And maybe it's a statement about how all our families are crazy. I mean my family's nuts. So I don't know about <laughs> yours but you know there's that statement there that hey the his family. Okay? So if that's the case why is love in an orphanage in this one? I... That's my first
2: question.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, there 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 are a lot of questions with regards to this and uh yeah, the the Well, and why is a 70-year-old, which is, Gabby, what Leatherface would be aged at at this point, why would he be in an orphanage at this point? Um, So
1: if you went by, I read something the other day that if you went by Gunnar Hansen, because Gunnar Hansen played Leatherface in the first one, if you went by Gunnar Hansen's actual age and what he would be at this point if he were still alive, Leatherface would be 74 years old right now. So why you have a 74-year-old in an orphanage, I don't know. The film doesn't seem to know. And if the film can't explain it, how the hell am I supposed to explain it, right?
0: Yeah. No, this makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, the only thing the and and this, this gets to one of the one of the points, because one of the things that this movie clearly wants to make us believe that has on its mind is the idea of gentrification, of the idea Of making something old, new again, something hip, something, you know, trendy that people would come to. I mean, and that seems to be a big part of the impetus here. Because of the fact that these these young entrepreneurs, I guess, or I, I don't even know what they are. Like, are they entrepreneurs? Are they... Who are these people? I really have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, they're all from
1: the school of, you know, the, the basically characters, you know, the, they're all from the school of cardboard characters. Let's put it that way. So you have no development front of them. I have yeah. no idea. But I want you to think of what you just said. Gentrification is the idea of some, something taking something old and making it trendy and new for a newer generation, right? Yeah. Isn't that the whole purpose for this sequel?
0: <laughs> That's the only... Re- like, that is the thing that really... <laughs> and, I mean, that was when I, when I said on Facebook that I was watching this. I mean, I'm like, hey, you know what? Leatherface against, like, hipster culture? I can't... I- I'm not against that idea. The, the <laughs> issue is that this-, this movie doesn't really know what to do with this idea. And... <laughs> Or it loses the plot because of the fact that you also have Elsie Fisher's character who's the survivor of a school shooting. So she's gotten... she's have, She has some trauma she's having to get over. And, you know, it's like naturally she's going to have that turn where she's going to have to fend for herself against Leatherface. And it's just bonker. And then you have this whole legacy sequel idea... Of the lone survivor from the original, Sally, who's not even played by the same actress as the original. Well, she
1: died back in 2014, so yeah. I think that bringing her back might have been an issue. <laughs>
0: this is true. But I, and I, and this is one of the moments where I can't really tell if this movie is trying to be a genuine legacy sequel in the same way the Halloween movies are or if it's trying to just like poke fun at the idea of what legacy sequels are, because Sal- Sally is about as ineffectual to the story of this movie as any legacy character I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about legacy characters. Let's go to Laurie Strode for a second, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so first off, Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is horror's most famous screen queen, right? Yeah. And she comes from a famous family. You know, she did a bunch of horror films early on. She went on to have a very storied career. She's been in some very popular movies. You know, she's she's done a whole bunch of stuff, right? Yep. She is an actual actress, all right? So they decide, okay, well, we're going to bring her back in 2018, which is also a retread because they did that 20 years earlier, but we won't get into that. So they bring her back, right? But the whole thing is, like, so they actually develop her character in that 2018 movie. Yeah. She's been paranoid. I mean, you got to figure, she was, what, 17, 18 years old when she got attacked, right? Yep. She has spent 40 years. She's destroyed her family. You now She's been married two or three times. You know, she has a granddaughter who she's, you know, not. She doesn't really have much time with. She, you know, because she's there. They're fractured, right? She's gone on to become like a survivalist in this little town in in Illinois, right? She's got all these guns and set up, and she's got her yep. house set up, and all of that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? All of that makes sense, and it's developed, and it's developed because you have a real actress who people are going to care about forty years later. And you also have a situation where, you know, they've taken that character, and I, as much as I don't like the 2018, like at least they, they developed her on a point that makes sense, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Sally Hardesty, the last time we see her is on the back of a pickup truck, screaming, and she's covered in blood, right? And she's screaming as you know, Leatherface is wheeling around the chainsaw as the sun goes down or comes up or whatever.
0: One of the I, great closing images of a movie
1: absolutely and that we don't see her for almost 50 years so I'm supposed to believe without any kind of build-up or background because they just they just toss her character in there I kind of think that that might have been a studio note like they had a script and then said okay well it worked for Halloween so now you need to put you need to put uh Sally Hardesty in there right yeah so they put her in there I'm supposed to believe that this chick became a ranger, because they do say she became, I believe they say it, but she became a ranger, like a, a Texas ranger at that point. Mm-hmm. Spent the last 48 years hunting this guy down, right? To the point where, and this is actually a neat little homage to the original, I don't know why she keep this picture, but she has a, uh, a Polaroid mm-hmm. on the inside of her, uh, her, you know, her visor on a car. Which I believe, if you watch the first one, is supposed to be the picture that the hitchhiker took of them in the first one. Yeah. So, why she would hold on to a picture of the five of them that was taken by somebody whose family tried to kill and eat her, I don't really know. (laughs) I don't think I'd be very fond of that picture myself, even if it had me and my four best friends in it. No? Yeah. Um, So, and again, we're going to get into spoilers here, right? Oh, yeah, Of course. Okay, So here's the thing. <laughs> she I'm supposed to be invested in her because she says she spent 50 years tracking this guy down. Now keep in mind, his family lived in a house like through some woods from her family house from that, that they went to visit in the first one. So why this guy and his family would be so hard to find? I don't know. Maybe she doesn't have a compass <laughs> on her. Maybe she lost the sense of direction. Maybe the truck drove her to Idaho and she got lost. I have no idea. One way or another, though, she finally gets him in a room. He doesn't have his chainsaw in his hand. He's sitting <laughs> on a bed. She's got the drop on him. Yep.
2: It is a clear, straight shot.
1: She's three feet from blowing his brains out. And she's like, You don't know who I am? Oh my God, how do you know not who I am? And then he like walks off.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm like, Are you kidding me? I, I mean, just, just slap me in the face and tell me you hate me. Tell me you're a dick, and this movie's a dick, and it hates me, because that's what you've done with that
0: scene. It's so stupid. I mean, it's... it's One of the funniest things I saw this entire weekend was somebody posted on Twitter a... Uh, out, so, in Avengers Endgame, there's a movie... There's a scene in the uh, final battle with uh, Scarlet Witch and Thanos, and Thanos killed Vision for one of the Infinity stories, Stones in Infinity War. And she has this moment where she's like, You took everything from me. And Thanos goes, I don't even know who you are. And somebody basically took that meme and transplanted it into this. And it was like, oh God, that is and that's all I could think about when that moment came up in the movie. It's like So now we do you have this point where it's like, you have this, you have this rivalry between these two characters that really is ineffectual because of the fact that like he clearly hasn't given a shit about her because I mean at least at least Jason in Friday the thirteenth part two is chasing down the final girl from that move from the first movie and kills her right on the spot. I mean, say, yeah. say what you will about Jason, but at least he's, he's you know, he, he's, he's taking care of shit. But he gets the job done. Yeah. yeah, but it's like Leatherface clearly doesn't give a shit for Sally, and it's like the, you're, you're right, like the idea that Sally has become like obsessed with him, but has not been able to find him, which is kind of ridiculous. And somebody, somebody brought up today that like, um you know, I mean, it's hard to get scared by a movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I don't live in Texas. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. And it got me to thinking, there really aren't too many slasher killers that have really traveled. Like, I think Jason is no. the one that's traveled the most. He's gone to Manhattan. He's gone to space. I mean, you know, he's at least he's trying to get around, but but at the same time, it's like that. You know this this movie is just so insane, and it's just you know there are so many choices. But the fact that like Sally doesn't even get like that heroic moment that like we get from Laurie Strode in being able to confront Leatherface and have any impact on the plot whatsoever.
1: If you put Laurie Strode in that same exact situation, if you take that scene and pull out Sally and put in Laurie and you pull out Jason, I'm not Jason, if you pull out Leatherface and put in Michael Myers, she's blowing his brains out.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's taking
1: this cut off with a shotgun. She's not gonna be like, oh my God, you forgot me? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Did you break up at the prop 50 years ago? What is this? <laughs>
0: And we I should say, like, I I love the original movie. I, I love Toby Hooper's original. It's one of the most visceral horror movies ever made. And it's one of the things I I will say one of the things I do like about this movie is that even though it's very obviously not it, it's very obviously not made on the cheap in the same way the Toby Hooper movie was made. I do kind of feel like this movie brought at least a little bit of grime and grit back to the franchise because that's one of the things I hated about the 2003 movie is that it was very obviously polished in that Michael Bay aesthetic. And see, I
1: I actually like the 2003 version because. I think that Andrew Bernarski is absolutely terrifying as as Leatherface in that movie. Mm-hmm. The mask, I think, is great. I've met Bernarski before. He is the size of a small town. He's tremendous. He's huge. I think that he's perfect for that role. I rarely get scared by, by horror movies, but every time he's on the screen, I'm like, oh my God.
2: Yeah. So I don't
1: want, I understand what you're saying that it had the sheet on there. I don't think that this was, and again, I, If I'm going to give this this new one credit for anything, I do have to say that the cinematography was really nice in this film.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't remember the name of the cinematography, but that was the one thing I can compliment, that there were some really nice shots in this film. Mm -hmm. There's no logic to it. There's no point that they leave developed, but yeah, sure, why not? (laughs) Um, So can I I ask
0: you a few other questions here? Certainly.
1: Do you think this movie is pro or anti-gun? Because I have no idea
0: that that is that is part of the problem with this movie is that it really doesn't seem to have a particular stance whatsoever it's like i i i don't know i mean is are we supposed to believe that Elsie Fisher's character is who has clearly been traumatized by a school shooting is going to be able to get through survive a situation like this i mean and much also, put for put away her terror over, you know, over what happened to her in a way that will she will actually brandish this insane chainsaw shotgun thing. Which, by the way, made me think that you know we when Jason versus, Frey versus Jason came out, one of the things that people really wanted to see was Frey versus Jason versus Ash. Give me Ash versus Leatherface. That oh, that would be, be awesome. I cuz you know, at least Leatherface and Ash would be on equal ground when it comes to the weapon of choice. I yes. I would love to see that. And I think that I I I I truly think that that would be like as great an idea for a spin-off as anything you could ever think to do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: That'd, That'd be being cool. Said,
0: but that being said, that yeah, this I can't tell one way or the other whether this movie's pro-gun and anti-gun.
1: I, I So can't here's tell. the thing. They introduced this idea and I actually thought it was kind of cool because I've never seen this in a horror movie, right? Normally you get characters who are going through their normal days, and then they get, you know, terrorized, and then they they're, you know, they have to fight back at the end. This is the first time in a horror movie that I've ever seen, and I've seen a million of them where they've involved the school shooting as part of it, right? Yeah. So the whole thing is, she got shot. She got she got shot, obviously. Actually, and you know, her bunch of her friends died. They show you a couple very quick flashbacks. Yeah. Where she's like on the floor and she's bleeding and there's bodies everywhere, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, all right. So the thing is that she she gets to this town, and we'll talk about her sister making fun of the guy at the gas station in a little while because that's a whole separate part of this we need to deal with. (laughs) The guy's got a gun on him. He's driving this big truck, right? So they end up at the town, and this is the guy that they've actually, she, the one sister makes fun of him, and this is the guy that they've actually hired to help them you know, set up this town for these influences and gentrification, right? Yeah. So she wanders off. The sister doesn't want to be there. And, you know, Elsie Fisher, the, the other, Sarah Yarkin, I think her name is? Yeah. Melody's yeah. a character name, right? So Melody's the one who's like, all big on this gentrification stuff. She's like, look, you have to come with me. You know, you don't have any family and I gotta take care of you because I wasn't there to take care of you at school or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So the sister clearly doesn't want to end up in this podunk town, this deserted place. So she wanders off and finds the guy. And he's, he's working on his truck in his garage. And he's got a semi-automatic on the uh on the counter or whatever on his tool table. So she picks it up and starts playing with it and he starts, you know, explaining her how to use it and all that. So my thing is, I'm getting the feeling that she's like, okay, well, instead of being afraid of guns or being anti-guns, she's like, I, I, my my thought process is that she's got to be saying to herself, if I had one of these in my hand, when these killers came into school, I could have prevented all this by killing them, yeah. right? That makes sense to me, right? Unfortunately, you get both sides of this story, so you don't get a strong argument because... The sister's anti-gun. She seems to be pro-gun at the moment. Sally Hardesty is pro-gun until it comes to the point where she's three feet from Leatherface and can murder him, right? Yeah. So all of that involved comes down to the ending, and she ends up with the gun in her hand. And I think, I, the only, I think one of the few points I enjoyed was when she goes to shoot, and either the clip isn't in or the safety's on. So she can't actually kill Leatherface even with the gun in her hand. Yeah, so, I don't even understand that that's trying to tell me that guns are, aren't are effective. Or I, I have no idea what the take is on this, Brian. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to introduce something like that, you know, and you can be subtle with it. You don't need to be, you know, sledgehammer me with it. But one way or another, you know, you should be telling me whether you are pro or anti gun because I can't figure that out
0: at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that goes to the writing. And I mean, this is from a story from Fede Alvarez who did the Evil Dead remake in 2013, did the is behind the Don't Breathe movies and it's you know it it has I love the I love the first Don't Breathe. I think it's a fantastic film. But like the second one was just so the the second one just rubbed me so much the wrong way because of the fact that felt like it was saying it felt like it was saying the wrong things compared to what we saw from the first one, and I feel like that is I mean it's not exactly the same thing in this movie, but it feels like there's there's no thematic point to a lot of this the ideas in this movie. And, you know, to your point, it's like, you know, yeah, it's it's fine to show... To a certain extent, it's fine to show, you know, different angles on something like, you know, gun ownership, gun usage, and protection, and all of that stuff. But at least make sure you have that fleshed out enough in your script... To where we understand where you're going with it. And this one just doesn't. Not at all.
1: Like, I can't... How am I supposed to feel about these protagonists? <laughs> am I supposed to like them? Am I supposed to be happy that they're kind of dickish? Am I supposed yeah. to just want them to be... You know, chainsaw fodder? I don't even know. Yeah. So going back to that scene I was talking about the gas station... This girl, and this is supposed to be from California, I think. This, this this Sarah Yarkins character, Melody, is basically like they come out and she's like, they're in the gas station and talking to the guy. Oh, and you want to talk about legacy characters. Let's talk about John Laraquette real quick. Yeah. Who came back with a narration for this, but now it's a documentary, apparently, that they're playing in the gas station conveniently at the same time that our characters are <laughs> in there, right? Yeah. So John Laraquette. But John Cat really should have been allowed to make an announcement during that, saying, "Hey, by the way, you can catch my other legacy series because they're bringing out back Night Court, and I'm going to be part of that too." <laughs> so, so they walk out of the gas station, and the guy is just—he gets out of his truck, and he's just pumping gas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which you know, when you have a truck, you have to do—you have to pump gas. And let's face it, in the backwoods of of Texas, you'd probably want a big pickup truck. I could see that, you know. Mm-hmm. I live in Idaho now. I come from New York, but the last eight months, nine months, I've lived in Idaho. I see pickup trucks all the time because if you're living on a farm, they're multi-purpose. You know, you can do a lot of stuff with a pickup yeah. that you can't do with a you can't do with a Toyota Corolla. You know. So the one girl, Melody, starts, and she can cle- she's clearly saying loud enough where the guy can hear her, right? So she's clearly saying, Hey, the guy is compensating with this big truck for having a small dick. Yeah. And it's like, why? You're, you're, you're wandering in the backwoods of Texas. Why would you want to piss off anybody? <laughs> Probably not the best move. No. The black guy, whose name I think his name's Dante, that character.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the,
1: the black guy is so upset about this Confederate flag. And he's like, OK, so I understand. Yeah, I understand that, you know, that's a, a, first off, you know, that shouldn't, you know, people in the South, of course, South, a lot of them use that as a symbol of the South's going to rise again or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you lost the civil war, get over it, you know? Yep. So I understand that he's pissed off about that, but he seems to be saying that, hey, if all the other entrepreneurs who are coming on this bus see this, they're going to say, we don't want to be part of this. Okay, did you do any vetting with this town before <laughs> you, you decided to bring 50 people in on a bus? Yeah. Did you actually did you actually visit? Did you actually go to the town before you talked to some people on the phone? Mm-hmm. Did you actually make sure you had all your documents in place before you chased out a lady and gave her a heart attack in a truck?
2: Yeah. Because
1: like, and he's all pissed off because he says, and I think that she says. Because, okay, so let's go into Alice Creek for a second. She runs this orphanage, which only has one orphan who's 75-year-old Leatherface at this point. So she basically says, hey, look, I don't have any problems. I've had plenty of boys of, I don't know how she phrases it. But she's basically saying, I've had black people that I've raised here, right? Yeah. But because of the way she phrases it, and again, this is a, like, she's got to be in her 70s at this point, right? She's not a young woman she's probably lived in this podunk town of Harlow her entire life and doesn't have any experience. And I think that she's trying to phrase it not to offend him. And then he gets very offended and goes, I'm calling the cops to get you out of here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, am I supposed to like
0: any of these people? Because yeah. I don't. Well, okay. I don't like any No, and you're absolutely right. And case in point, they're actually, they mention it, they're actually from Austin. Oh, so, so they are from Texas. So they're from Austin. And it's like, That makes even there's so many things that don't make any sense in this movie. Not the least of which is that what happened with Leatherface and his family in 1974 clearly happened. There's a documentary about it. How in the hell does anybody not know about this when you come to this town? It makes no sense.
1: Well, I mean, I guess you can go to the point that and I don't know if they're trying to make this statement, but you can kinda of say that kids today aren't nearly invested in history as, you know, kids were in the in the past, you know, younger people were in the yeah. past. Yeah. You can make that argument. That speaks against them also, and you're right. I oh no, is the bus coming in from California? I thought they said California
0: I I, 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 I think that's what is it is. I think that's I think that's what it is.
1: And then this kid, the only character development I have about the black, Dante, the black kid is that he's typically, he's your angry young black kid. So he's a stereotype and somehow or another, he's a chef. Yeah. So again, I don't know because this, this entire town they're going to rebuild seems to have one strip out in the middle of nowhere. So I don't know how successful a restaurant's going to be in the middle of hay fields in, in Texas. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. So so you get to that. So I mean, I I don't think I'm supposed to lie. And then they turn Melody into one of the the protagonist. Like she's one of the survivors at the end. They kill that blonde girl off very quickly. And by the way, yeah. did you notice that whole her crawling across the the cop thing is right out of scream
0: two? I haven't seen scream two in a while, but yeah, it it's uh... so- yeah, that 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 actually makes sense. I mean, there, that scene
1: yeah. is right out of Scream Two, right out of Scream Two. And I find it kind of funny going back to that particular scene that Leatherface is wearing Alice Krieg's face for the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, so yeah, they, they kill off they kill off the characters pretty easily, except the the two sisters there. Um, and then toward the end, okay. So at Death Ensemble, I have this thing called the Wily e. Coyote School of Protagonists, right? Yeah. So the Wily e. Coyote, if you've ever watched the Wily e. Coyote cartoon, he's incredibly inept at trying to kill the Roadrunner. Uh
2: huh. Right?
1: the point he ends up blowing himself up with ten tons of TNT. He falls off cliffs. He gets hit by and run over by Mack trucks, right? All that.
0: Mm. Right.
1: But five seconds later, he's fine. Nothing can hurt this guy, right? I yes. have no fear that he's a mortal, right? Well, I hate when horror movies do this with their protagonists, because and actually an the antagonist to the monsters in these things, because that's exactly what these characters are. That girl, Melody, gets hit. He leather faces at the top of the stairs, and he throws a hammer down yeah, and hits her right in the chest, and she's able to get up and move around like five seconds later.
2: Oh, it's right? ridiculous, yeah
1: they get smashed against walls in that final scene in that movie theater he hits her with something and she flies like 18 feet and lands and then she's up like two seconds later right so Mm -hmm. I hate that but the worst is Sally Hardesty Sally Hardesty let's face it she's bringing her back if you're not going to do anything with it don't bother bringing her back Yeah. so after she doesn't kill him he runs a chainsaw through her right the chainsaw goes right yeah. through her guts yeah right yeah so five minutes later five minutes later of screen time she's talking to you she's laying in like a pile and she's like hey take this gun okay so has have the filmmakers ever heard of the concept of bleeding out because <laughs> i don't think they have i don't think they have Alright, so so we covered most of the stuff I don't want to cover, but so shall we talk about the one line from the trailer that everyone's gonna want to hear about here?
0: Oh, sure, why not? So,
1: <laughs> so there's 50 kids on this bus. Leatherface has killed several people. He's wearing a human mask. He's probably covered in blood at this point. Yeah. And I guarantee he doesn't smell too well, right? Uh-huh. He gets on this bus with a chainsaw in his hand, mind you.
0: Mm-hmm. Kids hold
1: up their phones, and the Asian guy goes, "You try anything, and we'll cancel you, bro."
2: Yep. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so, so I, I, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna ask you how this film feels about influencers because I don't understand that either, right? So they all hold their cell phones up. So I've worked. When I used to teach, and now that I'm in the restaurant industry, I've worked with young people for a long time, right? Yeah. I guarantee you, if 50 of them were on a bus, and some guy came in with a chainsaw wearing a U.N. mask, they wouldn't be holding their phones up. They'd be running, screaming, shitting in their pants, Brian. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So there's no way that things would react that way, all right? So... My thing is, I've seen a number of horror movies involving influencers the last couple years, right? Because obviously, you know, it's a big thing. I'm convinced that none of the people who write these films have ever met a real-life influencer, because they're always caricatures of what you would think an influencer would be, all right? There is no way that those kids would react like that as human beings, okay? As cardboard film characters in a shitty horror film, sure. Yeah. There is no. Do you know? Have you ever met an influencer? Because I have. I can't say that I have. No. All right. I I tend to think that they wouldn't act like the way they do in horror movies because they're all caricatures of what what adult writers think they would be like. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand that I'm supposed to say I, I think that I'm not supposed to like them. I I also think that. The writers and the whoever made this from the, the creators behind this thing didn't care how I felt about influencers because let's face it, those characters are all on that bus just to be body count, and yeah. that's the big, you know, that's the big kill scene, you know? So, do you have any feeling about the influencers in this film? They barely develop them. They show up, and I think there's one scene where they have an auction for two seconds, and then the oh, bus yeah, and scene, then and they're, they're all then dead, they're then
0: right? they're at like a cookout and stuff like that. So, first of all, I would be remiss yes. if we didn't at least acknowledge that the, the influencer that you are talking about that says try anything and you're canceled, bro, is Shintaro Shimosawa. I apologize if I mispronounce his name. He's a producer on this movie, and he was an executive producer on our good friend Jeremiah Kipps' feature adaptation of Slap things, which,
1: which I will give a, a a blatant plug right now. If you haven't seen that movie, please please get on shutter right now and watch that movie.
0: Yes. It is a, not only is it a considerably better horror movie than the one we're talking about, it was one of my very favorite movies I saw last year. It is a terrific film and Absolutely it is well worth watching. So, to, so I have to bring it. So I had to bring up that. Um, that being said, yeah, I, I mean, I understand. Like, if you're talking about like the influencers who, like, you know, brought the fire festival or something like that, I kind of, I, I kind of see where you're coming from with the, with the caricature of it. But at the same time, it's it's like the school shooting thing, where it's like. And the gun thing, where you don't necessarily know what the movie is trying to say.
1: We spend about, I think, two scenes with the young black lady, who is like, I guess she's the one who organized all the the entrepreneurs, influences, whatever you want to call them. Like, so she's the the attaché between them and the melody and the uh, you know our quote unquote protagonist here. Mm-hmm. So I think that. And you get very little of her as well. I mean, she finds that kid Dante, and he's bleeding, and he's down. And then she gets on the bus, and she's like, we got to go, we got to go. But she doesn't tell anybody why.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was
1: kind of weird. Because if you told them why, maybe they'd take it so seriously and not pull out their cell phones. Now, again, you can't go more cliche than as they're filming this, you see one of their phones and you're getting comments from the people that are watching it live, yeah, like one of them's, oh, this is so fake, blah blah blah." It's like you know it's just so generic. I mean, how about giving me something
0: interesting? I the comments I, I will say I did enjoy the comments, but because of how absolutely stupid it is, but I mean, I guess to a certain extent, it's criticizing social media cu- culture and stuff like that, but again. It's gotten. It gets to the point that it's so shallow in its criticisms that there's. It ultimately is not really saying anything at all about it.
1: And that's the problem with this film. I, as I said at the beginning, there are fifty different ideas in this film, none of which are developed. Yeah. And that's my biggest problem. I mean, this would have been. I, There was very, very, very slim chances that the ninth Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) was going to be some modern day classic.
2: Yeah. But again,
1: you know, we deserved better than this. Mm. We definitely deserved better than
0: this. Mm.
1: And one more point I'd like to make, because I have one more thing. I wrote down these points for you I've gone through all of them, but one more thing I'd like to make. So, as I mentioned earlier about the first one, a theme throughout these films is that, you know, it's not just that. Leatherface is killing people. It's that Leatherface and his family are killing these people and eating them, right? I find it kind of odd that nine entries in, there's no reference to cannibalism at all here. Yeah. He doesn't try to eat anybody. I mean, I don't know how well fed he is. He looks like he's pretty plump or a guy who's been living in some ghost town for 50 years or whatever it is.
0: Exactly. But, you know, he,
1: has, he doesn't look like. He doesn't look like he's, you know, well not well fed, but again, and I don't think he killed anybody in a while because his chainsaw for some reason is buried in a wall in this orphanage. <laughs> what? Yeah. It- like that was just that was just like, hey, let's make what we think is a cool visual with absolutely no logic to it at all.
0: Oh yeah, and it goes to the fact that like, why is. You know, it's like, I guess you could make the argument that the reason why this town is as deserted as it is is because of the fact that, you know, for economic reasons, they had to leave because nothing was happening here and so on and so forth. But yeah, you you get nothing when it comes to the Campbellism aspect of it. Um, and it, you know, like the only hint at, you know that idea is when you have the the shot the transition shot to the cookout and you see the meat over the grill. That's basically it, and basically the yes. only reference you would get to like raw meat being cooked for the for consumption. That's pretty much it and again, if you're doing a legacy sequel, at least try to be. At least try to be somewhat like honest with the whole idea of what the what the what made the original so unique. I mean, you know, certainly try try to be try to be true to the source material.
2: Yeah,
1: try to be true to the source material because when you do one of these, and the unfortunate thing about and again, Halloween, if we want to look at that, has like twenty seven different timelines, right? Yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. But the whole thing that I hate about these legacy sequels is that they're basically saying, hey, all those other movies that you saw here in this franchise, we're like number 15 or whatever, but like 2 through 14, they all suck. So just disregard them because we're the real sequel. We're what you really need to come home to, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to do that with this one, how do you not make this about cannibalism at all? Yeah. Like, no. The whole point is that they're eating people because the economy is shit there. You know, yeah. they were killing cows in slaughterhouses for a long time. Like the character of Grandpa, who's just this out of it, like the deluded he doesn't even have a dialogue in the first film. He's just sitting there in a wheelchair and they put a hammer in his hand so he can hit Sally Hardesty over the head with it, you mm-hmm. know? Like this has been a generational thing with them. They've been slaughtering cows for for generations, and now there are no more cows there. There's no more slaughterhouse, so they've turned to cannibalism because the economy. Look, and if you want to, get, look. And that's that. See, that's that is nuanced, nuanced social critique. Yeah, that is not holding a cell phone up and going, "You try anything and you cancel, bro."
2: Yeah,
1: that's the difference between great filmmaking and this piece of shit. <laughs> And speaking of shit, if I can make one more comment before, before we go here. Certainly. So, I've never ever seen a film where and if we want to talk about blatant and not subtle, the film literally takes a shit on its protagonist. There is a scene where, and it's a pretty cool scene, I'll give it that, where she's under the floor and Leatherface is cutting through with his chainsaw and she's running ahead of the chainsaw and yeah. she gets to the point where she gets in front of a pipe and the chainsaw goes through the pipe and it's a sewage pipe and it literally drops shit. Mm-hmm. So if the, movie, if the movie is shitting on its protagonists, why am I supposed to care about
0: them? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I think the only thing I really have left to say is I I I appreciate that this movie went for the ending that it did, which, grant, yes, is a gratuitous uh, lift from the original, but doing so as in a way where the, the character is tra- traumatized all over again and is able to have the same anguish shot of looking back at the the reason her life has been shattered as her car, which he is the only occupant of, is an electric car and apparently a self-driving car. Yes. I, I love how goofy that ending is. And it's like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's no way they end that, that way. You've got to end it differently. And sure enough, they end it the only way that makes sense, where it's like, oh, you have because of course Leatherface doesn't die. He and he takes Melody out of the car and Basically decapitates her, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: um, I also love how like it's daytime now, so I don't know how long this night was. If they've been standing around for hours after, because it was it was definitely in the middle of the night when blood in the face was chasing them around, right?
0: Well, and it so was clearly it was clearly in the either late afternoon, early evening when the ambulance crashed.
2: Yes.
1: So, so, the thing is, it's the next morning now. And again, now you have this character who's not been through one tragedy with a school shooting, but now two, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And she's yeah. like, and they're like walking out to the car. They're all smiling. And she's like, hey, you know what? I think I do want to move here. I'm like, <laughs> really? Are you fucking kidding me? What human being would ever be, say anything like
0: that? <laughs> now, did you stay around through
1: the end credits?
0: I did not. Did I miss something through the end credits?
1: Oh, oh yeah, you did. Oh, there damn. is a very. So, have you seen the fourth Rambo film, the one that Lionsgate put out?
0: The the one in uh, Thailand. Yes. Yes.
1: So the very end of that scene has Rambo walking down the road, and he's obviously going home because he's he's settled now. Everything's good, right? He's now he's maybe he now can look at himself in the mirror and say, "I've done what I need to do." Now I can go all with my life. Well, this has a similar scene with Leatherface walking down the road and he's walking toward what should be the house from the original. So, apparently Sally Hardesty wasn't able to find that house, but he was.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I I, I don't know what... I think maybe I did see that scene. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I I think that is... uh, I I think that is that is a fitting insane end to an utterly baffling and crazy uh, legacy sequel in the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think the last thing I want to say is I actually came up with what I think is a pretty brilliant idea if we're going to do legacy sequels and granted this one will probably take some time because of the fact that the Franchise is in, entwined in legal issues, but I would love to see a Friday 13th legacy sequel where it is Tommy Jarvis versus Jason. But the twist is we see all every different actor who played Tommy Jarvis.
1: Oh, that, that's awesome!
0: So you have you. part four and part six Tommy Jarvis against. Jason, and then part five Tommy Jarvis, because it's obvious throughout that entire damn movie that Tommy Jarvis was supposed to basically turn into a serial killer. Yes. (laughs) I think it would be fun.
1: (laughs) I think it would be fun if they decided to have all the final girls from the series, if they wanted to do a legacy one. Yeah. Like they're a dinner club now, and they get to the dinner to they go to Crystal Lake like once a year for dinner to talk about how they all killed Jason, but he came back, and then Jason comes back and they tries he tries to kill all nine or ten of them at once. That'd be fun.
0: That would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would be that would be really good. And then we could maybe get get some uh, jabs at the fact that he evidently uh, got onto a cruise ship on its way to Manhattan and. Decide, oh hey, I'm just gonna take care of this. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna take care of these people, even though you know they're not at Crystal Lake anymore. But uh, <laughs> no, there's some there there's some ripe material for uh, Friday 13th legacy sequels if they ever get that franchise out of uh, rights hell. But um, <laughs> Phil, thank you very much for joining me on this emergency pod on the 2000. 2000- 22 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, It has (laughs) been a pleasure.
1: And I, I would say, if you haven't seen this film and you like horror movies, see this film just because you have to appreciate how terrible this film is.
2: Yeah. This doesn't
1: work as a legacy sequel. It doesn't work as a sequel. It doesn't work as a look at humanity or any kind of social issues. It doesn't work at all. And that's why I love it.
0: Now that one of the things I said in my reviews part of the part of the reason that I thought like the grit and the grime came back was because of in the franchises, because of the fact that we get really good high contrast between the shadows and daylight in the cinematography, yes. which we touched on earlier, but I also said that part of it is the film is kind of nihilistic in its approach to life and death and character and story and tone and anything resembling coherent, coherent, negative narrative. Um, I, I, I can't think of a more logical way to wrap up this discussion. And, uh, yeah, this, this was, this was a lot of fun. I love that we were able to, uh, get this, get this together so quickly and sort of get some of these feelings out of our system.
1: Thank you so much for having me as always, Brian.
0: All right. Hey, this is David from the Piecing It Together podcast, a podcast about movies and the movies that inspire them. For over four years each week, a guest and I take a look at a new movie through the lens of what other movies we think were either an influence or connect in some other way. It's a fun, unique way to discuss films that leads to a great list of other movies to check out that either explore the same themes and ideas or maybe utilize similar filmmaking techniques. Including special episodes in our side series that twist the format, we've done over 200 episodes, so there's bound to be one on a film you've been thinking about and want to dig deeper into. So check us out on all the major podcasting apps and at piecingpod.com. I'd like to thank Phil for uh, joining me to discuss the 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was a lot of fun to put something together quick and really get our thoughts on the insane movie out of the way that's going to do it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast uh, check us out at wherever you listen to podcasts click subscribe at the uh, Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel for po- the podcast as well as other quick reviews and uh, you can and filmmaker interviews and more importantly though you can always check me out at wwwsonic thank you very much
2: Thank you.